I'm Julie Ross. And I'm Gregory Abbey. And you're listening to the Parenting Horizons podcast. Julie is a longtime parent educator and counselor. And Greg is an actor, writer, and director, and more importantly, a parent just like you. Through conversations covering a range of different topics, challenges, and roadblocks, we hope to give you a few of Julie's tools that might just help make parenting a little bit easier. Look, nobody's perfect, and parenting is challenging, to say the least. With a few skills under our belts, though, we might just be able to be good enough parents and enjoy the journey and our children a little bit more in the process. Okay, so I think this is episode eight. I think it is, too. It's kind of sad because we haven't done that many, and I've really lost track. Every time we sit down, I'm like, what episode is this? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Let's go with eight. That and that may be part of the pandemic too. That I, I've lost track of like what day it is, yeah. what month it is. Let's put it on the pandemic. Let's. I think that's a. But great it does. Idea. The Blame pandemic everything. does kind of squash your brain. It's like what day? Oh is my this? gosh! It's all so blending. bad. But I do think this is episode eight. Okay. And you know we talk often when we talk about like what topics we want to cover or get into. And when we were having that conversation, you mentioned self esteem. You right. said, you know, I'd love to talk about self esteem, which obviously I know what self esteem is. And at the time, I thought, okay, I wonder how you mean self esteem. It's kind of a broad topic. So you told me you've spoken on this. Mm-hmm. Why? Like, why do you think this is an important factor? Why have you talked about this or made presentations specifically around self-esteem? Sure. Well, you know, it's actually my favorite thing to talk about, Greg, Hmm. um, for a number of reasons. One is that there's a lot of confusion around it. Among um, parents. Parents, yeah. And, you know, honestly, sometimes even experts, there's a lot of confusion around it. And yet it remains central to a child's capability and maybe, you know, we could talk about adults too, but a child's capability to be all the other things that we expect them to be. So we expect children to develop a sense of responsibility. Hmm. We expect children to develop a sense of a moral code or ethical code, right? We expect children to learn to cooperate with one another, to resolve conflict peacefully. And the ability to do all of those things and probably almost anything else that you can imagine Mm -hmm. um, a child doing, that it all rides on the sense of self-esteem. And I I equate self-esteem and confidence. Okay. So, you know, the... Kind of the technical definition of self-esteem is it refers to how we think about ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, so if we feel good about ourselves and when self-esteem is high, we have a tendency to form healthy relationships. Sure. We're courageous around learning new things. Mm-hmm. We're able to take appropriate risks for appropriate you know, goals or or consequences, either one. So self-esteem becomes really important. I think some of the confusion that has occurred over time about self-esteem, well, there's a lot of different things, but I think one of the things is that people sometimes confuse self-esteem with hubris. Okay. You so mean the difference between sort of arrogance and confidence? Correct. Okay. So hubris is an unwarranted 
confidence. In other words, it's a braggart, braggart you know, sure. kind of thing. I'm, I, I'm so cool kind of thing. But it's not warranted. There's nothing within the person that says that they have the skills or the abilities or whatever to feel confident about. Right. You know, there's a phrase in AA. I'm not in AA, but I've heard this and I kind of really like it. And it fits with some people I run into and deal with. And it's big ego, low self-esteem. Meaning that the person has a ton of bravado, but underneath it's not held up by anything. They actually have low self-esteem underneath that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 100%. That bravado, I think, actually is armor. Right. I thought of it just because you said hubris. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that hubris is armor, Mm -hmm. you know, against a very fragile ego. Right, or an insecurity. Or an insecurity. Yeah, no question. So I think another reason that this is one of my favorite things to talk about is that the way in which historically people have tried to raise a child's sense of Mm self-esteem has been very misguided and has had, I would argue, almost disastrous results. Does this this have to do, because you sent me sort of this document Mm -hmm. that you sometimes follow and a document you wrote. You talked about four ways that you discouraged. Is that that the idea? Is that part of this misguided thing that parents do? I mean, you listed, which would be great. We could go through all of these if this is what you're talking about. You said there's four ways we discourage self-esteem in a child, as I understand it. Mm -hmm. Negative expectations, perfectionists overprotection, focus on mistakes. Now, is that what you mean or is that a separate thing? Well, I would love to go through that Great. because to me, that is, you know, there's there's kind of two sides to the coin. What are we doing that we shouldn't be doing? Okay. And you just named all the things that we shouldn't be doing. Right. And then what? how can we do it better? So when you say misguided, is that different from this list? Well, um, like, what are some of the- Sort when, of. When you say misguided. When I say misguided, There was a period of time where people, parents and teachers and society, I guess, decided that they needed to focus more on children's self-esteem. The misguided attempt to do that was in the form of praise Okay. and to kind of use a universal concept that I think parents will resonate, it it will resonate with parents, participation awards. Okay. So So what's wrong with praise (laughs) as a form of building self-esteem? So praise refers to acknowledging the result of behavior as opposed to encouragement, which is what I'd like to get further into in this episode. Encouragement really addresses the work ethic working hard. So you mean the process of it? Precisely. Okay. Praise is often very general. Right. It is often over the top. Mm -hmm. So it might sound like, you know, your child brings home a scribble from school and you're like, you are Picasso. You are the best artist in the world. Oh my gosh. And you know, everything goes up on the refrigerator. Right. Everything is incredible. So this is very (laughs) over the top proclamation, which parents might think, I really help my child because when they come home with the scribble, I tell them they're Picasso. Exactly. So this is going to build great self-esteem. Exactly. And you're it, right. So and it sounds it like, and why doesn't it? Because it's more about the result. It's general. It's not based on any of the process that led them there. Maybe it's not acknowledging the struggle part piece of it or right i it doesn't acknowledge the struggle piece of it and especially if there is no struggle if it's just a 
a slash on a piece of paper by a 10 year old, you know, and they're coming home and saying, hey, look at this, mom, dad, I didn't I do good. So it doesn't acknowledge the work or effort that gets that ultimately has that feeling of satisfaction for us. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit like the bar cannot be too high or your self-esteem is going to be low because if you try and try and try and try and can never get over that bar Mm -hmm. then you give up you mean the bar that maybe the parent has set for the child yeah whatever it might be i mean i think there's always your own bar i mean i guess i guess you're talking about dynamics that happen between the parent and the child or even that the child has intuitively with themselves exactly or that the school has i mean there are a lot of bars that we have to try to get over in life you know, the schoolwork is one of them. You know, career is one of them. So if the bar is too high, like- Societal expectations and yeah. pressure. If you're expecting your child or if your child's expecting to be able to hit a home run, but in reality, they can't even pick up a bat because it's too heavy, mm. that's going to lead to lower self-esteem. What's interesting to me is that if the bar is too low, the same thing happens. So if there's no effort required and the child is just stepping over the bar, right? And there's no expectation. And there's no expectation, but there's also no effort. So we find this often in in children who are very gifted in a particular area. Let's say you've got a child, you know, years ago I knew a, a child who was in fourth grade or whatever, and had to go to Stuyvesant High School, which is one of the top tier high schools. A fourth grader had to go to Stuyvesant High School Mm -hmm. for the mathematics. Mm -hmm. But that didn't necessarily guarantee high self-esteem because, you know, it's easy. What are you talking about? This is easy. And especially in his classroom, you know, in the fourth grade classroom, other kids were struggling and he was like, wow. So there's something in the struggle that creates the strength that really is self-esteem, that level of confidence. The other thing that we found out is when you praise a child, when you're just commenting on the the results, praise is actually addictive. Mm. I remember being a dancer and all of the hours that I spent in the studio at the bar and in practice and rehearsals and stuff wasn't recognized. But of course, when I got on the stage, there was applause and the, sure. you know the result mm-hmm. was being acknowledged. Right. But I remember saying to my mother after a performance saying, what did you think? And she said, oh my gosh, you were so good. And I was like, was I good? Yes, you were awesome. So I was awesome, right? I was really good. And there's a need to keep that going because it's addictive. It actually fires. Sure, sure. It's like a drug. It's like a drug, right? When we encourage, that is when we acknowledge the process and the hard work, it doesn't have the same effect. You don't have to keep reaching for the external Right. And maybe that result, that one hit of the praise- Right. Okay. Exactly. You you instead kids learn to internally acknowledge their own efforts and that's what ultimately what builds self-esteem. You know, a very simple example of that is that it's better when a child says, "Look at this grade I got" or "Look at this fabulous drawing I did." It's better to say, "You must feel so proud of yourself" than to say, I'm so proud of you. I mean, I understand intellectually why you're saying that. What's the difference? The difference is that I'm so proud of you is an external reinforcement. Mm -hmm. 
you must be proud of yourself makes the pride an internal reinforcer for the child. Right, because it's about them. I mean, it's you instead of I. Exactly. Right. So already that you're not, the parent isn't making about, I am proud of you. And then they're, they're reaching to sort of achieve this thing from the parent. Yes. Now, uh, let me just pause there, Greg, and say that rigidity in terms of parenting, whenever we talk about any of these techniques, if you become too rigid about it, Hmm. that's not good either. So I have had a situation with a mother years ago, maybe 20 years ago, who took it very, very literally. Literally. In terms of how to praise or something? Not praising, not saying she was proud of her kid. Okay. And the kid got into high school and had some project that they had to do and did it. And it was sitting on the counter to be taken to school. It was like a physical, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, diorama or whatever. And she was worried, I don't want to overpraise him, so let me not say anything. Well, here's what happened. She goofed, quote unquote, and said to him, wow, that is awesome. I am so proud of you. And he took a step back and he was like, you are? I didn't think you ever were proud of me because she had said, you must feel so proud of yourself over and over, but she had never actually said, I feel proud of you. So I really want to help our listeners understand it's not a 100% thing. Right. It goes back to the 70, 30 rule. Yeah, right. I was just going to say, it's so funny. I was just going to say that. Like this isn't, you say this a lot about a lot of the techniques you, we sort of talk about here and you bring up that. That it's also like a learning curve. It's not like you put this on and like, now this is how you praise and this is how you get self-esteem for your child. Right, exactly. It's kind of a process and you're saying it's not a perfect process. And we talk about 70-30. If you've been listening to the podcast, you've heard this, but tell the, what is the 70-30 rule again? You only have to get it right 70% of the time. That leaves a 30% margin for error that you want to take advantage of. Sure. You know, you you And give yourself a break that you're not going to get it perfect. Absolutely. And as you can see from the story I just told, the mother. I will never say I am proud (laughs) and never will say, I will only say you are and it'll be perfect in this child. And then he's like, why don't you ever say you're proud of me? Exactly. Exactly. So we don't want. A hundred percent. And rigid rigidity around it. Is we what don't you're want saying. rigidity. Right. But you this know, is the wanna... general idea. Because yeah. I sort of like that and thematically this is we you sort of talk about this a lot, is like when you say you, it, it becomes a connection between the two of you, I would think. Is that the idea? That they're part of it? I think it it um has to do what we've talked about in a lot of different podcasts so far, which is that we want to make sure to acknowledge how the child feels about things Mm -hmm. because that helps them gain insight into their own feelings. So to say, you must feel so proud of yourself, it helps them connect to that inner sense Mm -hmm. of, I did great, right? Right. So that they don't have to do what I did as a dancer growing up, which was say, did I do great, mom? Did I do great, mom? Did I do Mm -hmm, great? I had mm -hmm. no internal sense of how I did. So that's the difference between praising, right, which creates that external, that need for the external reinforcement from somebody other than oneself Mm -hmm. versus acknowledging the feeling that you see your child have, which often is pride, and it allows them to then- Connect to it internally themselves. Correct. Well, that was what I was trying to remember is our last episode was around being comfortable with uncomfortable feelings. 
And as opposed to trying to fix the uncomfortable feeling in your child, you acknowledge it. So they develop sort of an internal skill around doing that themselves. It sounds like this is the same idea that that's what I guess I mean when I say if they're part of that process. I sort of like that idea that you're saying that they can then internally connect with it as well. Like, yeah, I am proud. Yeah, I did work hard on this. Absolutely. And, you know, we did spend a lot of time, the whole podcast last time, talking about being able to tolerate your uncomfortable feelings. But we also need to pay attention to the child's positive feelings, the child's Mm -hmm. comfortable feelings, the the happy feelings that kids have so that they can identify those as well. Mm -hmm. Because to create a well-rounded human being, Mm -hmm. people who are well-rounded acknowledge both. They acknowledge, wow, I'm really, you know, I'm really bummed today. Mm -hmm. But they can also say, oh, I feel so good about this. Feeling good about something allows you to repeat it mm. intentionally, mm. right? So you, you mean because it's kind of like a learned emotional behavior? Sure. When you feel proud of something, then you're like, well, what can I do to recreate that feeling of pride? And so, feeling of self-esteem, which of course feels great. Exactly. Why don't we go through these so we can maybe speak specifically to some of these and Mm -hmm. we'll do maybe the four ways we discourage kids to start with so when you say negative expectations what do you mean okay and i just want to say before we even go through each of those the intention of the parent in each of these cases is not bad Mm -hmm. the intention is always or almost always to protect our children to, you know, to help them do better, to help them achieve, to, you know, to love them up. That's the intention. Sure. That's what you mentioned at the beginning, though, that sometimes it can be misguided. Correct. So when you say, what do you mean when you say negative expectations? So negative expectations refers to the fact that often parents expect their children to do something wrong. Mm. Negative expectations is communicated Mm -hmm. primarily with the words don't and be careful. (laughs) Don't forget your homework. Right. Don't run. Don't slip. Don't fall. Don't spill that. Sure. Right? And that communicates. Psychologists believe that children don't even hear the word don't. They only hear what comes after it. So if you say don't spill that, what does the child hear? Spill that. Right, right. No, of course. You know, because it translates to action before they can prevent themselves from doing it. Well, and I just have to say, because as you're talking, I'm thinking about this. So my wife, I have a tendency to misplace things and lose things. <laughs> and we talked about this a little bit. I've had a lifelong a <laughs> lifelong habit. And my wife, not that she'd get on me, but sort of like that same thing, like cautioning me around it. Like, don't lose your keys. Make sure you put them in the right place. Put your wallet. Do this. Don't do that. And I think her own therapist, when she was sort of talking about like, this is kind of driving me crazy. Her therapist said, don't say anything around it because you're, I think that idea, like you're almost causing this in a way because now you're constantly thinking about it. Right. Yes. And so she did. She consciously was like, I'm not going to beyond him about like make sure you put your keys in the right place i'm sort of simplifying it but she and it's not that she even shared that with me but she felt that i sort of turned it around because of course i don't want to lose my stuff and 
I think I have an artist brain, so I am kind of absent-minded, but I don't want to do that. But when I feel the pressure of like, right, 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 I don't want to lose that. Oh, right, 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 do that, that it can almost cause it. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, you know, it comes from that expectation that Mm -hmm. the person has around whatever it is they expect you to do. And people children and people live up to our expectations. Yeah, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy if you have it in your mind, like, yeah, I'm clumsy, I trip all the time. Exactly. Oh, oh, clumsy Sally. Absolutely, absolutely. Be careful, you know how you lose your balance all the time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Old Sally's gonna lose her balance for the rest of her life. <laughs> it's it's absolutely Is that the true. idea? Yeah, okay, that's the okay. idea. Right. And because, well, and here's the story that I tell, Greg, that that I feel is so powerful because it's not about kids. It's about an adult. And specifically, it's about my father-in-law, may he rest in peace. He had, we grew up in Texas, my husband and I both did. And one of the things my father-in-law loved was keeping his lawn beautiful and mm-hmm. his garden beds and his trees. He would get up on a 10-foot tall ladder and prune the trees, which, you know, is potentially dangerous. I mean, because you're using these shears that really can cut through a big, hard piece of something. So he would get up and and prune the trees. And and he told me the story, by the way. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is from the horse's mouth. My mother-in-law would stand underneath (laughs) the ladder and say, Don, be careful up there. Be careful. Don't fall. Don't hurt yourself. Don't cut your finger. And when he told me the story, he said, what did she think I was going to do? Deliberately fall off the ladder? Right. Put my finger in the shears? Mm -hmm. So first of all, when we hear it in the adult context, we can kind of see how ridiculous it is. Mm -hmm. But second of all, and the moral of the story is, you know, he was probably 35 when this was, you know, going on. And over time he became afraid to prune the trees. And his beloved yard work, beloved, that was one of the things he had to hire out. And he told he told me this story, so. So how, know, do you, how do you, what is the opposite of that though? Because mm-hmm. I'm thinking of maybe a child that's going out with their friends and it's gonna be late and you have some concerns as a parent, like, hey, you know, whatever it is, like, you know, make sure you ride with friends, make sure you call me if it's dark and I need to come pick you up, um, don't drink and drive, whatever those things are. How do you get some of that across? You know, on your list of four ways to encourage, you have show confidence. Is that Correct. is that what the opposite yeah. of this is, of negative expectations? And so how do you do that instead? So showing confidence is a little bit like seeing the glasses half full instead of half empty. Mm-hmm. So instead of seeing the child as about to trip, you see the child as being coordinated enough to- You got this. You got this. Mm -hmm. I think the listener will find as we go through all of these, the positive ways to encourage instead of discourage, there's kind of an overall theme of catch them doing it right. So one of the things, um, you know, when I was- Years ago, I was teaching this to teachers in a preschool, Mm -hmm. and there was a little four-year-old who was sitting, I was in the teacher's lounge area, and the teachers were preparing their classrooms, and it was just me and this little four-year-old who was eating a bowl of cereal. Mm -hmm. I have no idea why she was eating a bowl of cereal, why (laughs) she was doing it at school or whatever, but it was fine. So I was sitting there looking over my notes. And she finished the bowl of cereal, but it obviously was not sugary cereal, which would have left the milk in the bowl very sweet. Sure. No. 
So basically, she finished all the crunchy bits mm-hmm. and had a bowl full of milk mm-hmm. left over. So she picked it up and she was walking by me to the sink that was over mm-hmm. on the other side of me. And we had not said a word up until that point, but she was carrying the bowl and she looks at me. She decides now, it's a good idea. She says, you know, it's very important to put your bowl in the sink when you're finished. And I said, you know, I think you're right. Well, that opened the floodgates of four-year-old communication, right? So now she's like, talkity, 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 talk. And she's walking with this bowl of milk. Yeah. She's talking to me and looking at me, not mm-hmm. looking at the bowl. not. And the, the milk is starting to do that little gravity-defying yeah. mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. on the edge. And I thought, I got to get this right because I'm teaching it today. <laughs> I didn't want to use my 30%. So I- Be careful! I, exactly. <laughs> which is the tendency. It's like, of be course, careful. that's the Hold impulse. The you know, and I said, instead I said, I noticed how carefully you're holding that bowl. And she went, she looked at it, she tipped it upright and she said, yes, I am. And she walked the rest of the way and didn't spill a drop. Right. That's showing confidence. Wow, that's very hard to do in the moment. That's why we keep talking about it to learn practice, right? Because of oh, course yeah. your instinct is be careful, don't spill that. Ex- don't spill it. And that's when it goes all oh, over the exactly. floor. Oh, exactly. Or you know, hey, be careful because you know you know how many times you've spilled the balls. You're it, a spiller. You gotta a remember. Spiller. Right. You know, and you know suddenly, how clumsy you are. Right. You know. Right. So so showing confidence. Showing confidence. Right. Looking at it as half full instead of half empty. And, and noticing it. So you don't have to say, I'm proud of you for carrying that bowl so carefully, or you're doing a good job carrying that bowl so carefully. The best kind of encouragement is noticing. Mm-hmm. I noticed that you're doing that. Right. And then that pulls their focus and attention back to noticing themselves. Mm-hmm. And again, now you're connecting, they can connect it internally themselves. Right. Right. So exactly. they're having to experience it. I I am. I'm carrying this bowl. I'm incredible. <laughs> exactly. Um, okay. So another way that parents might discourage you have uh, perfectionists. Yeah. So, you know, well, you know, I, I don't think that I probably need to even describe what that right. looks like. Right. I think, you know, I think a lot of people are perfectionists. I think you know, it's... This is sort of maybe speaking to the expectations are too high? Well, expecting perfection. So, so for example, I mean, gosh, it comes up week after week after week. It's just constant where a parent will say, my kid brought home a report card and it's all, it was all A's, hmm. but there was a B plus hmm. in it. Hmm. And so I said... What's going on with this B plus? And that's where they begin? That's where they begin. But even if you didn't begin that way, noticing that, pointing that out is very discouraging because nobody can be perfect. And so if we point that out, the kid gets the impression of, well, if all you're going to notice is what I did wrong. In other words, if for you my parent, if for you, it's not good enough unless it's all A's. And mm-hmm. I'm just using that kind of metaphorically because it could be with anything, you know, sure. you know, winning a soccer game. It could be, I, I mean, it doesn't matter. You sure. know, I'm just using that. If that's all that matters to you, why should I try? Well, I could see how that could be just defeating and might lead to low self-esteem because nothing that you can do is good enough. 
Correct. It's not. It's just not good enough. And so, I can see if you come home with a report card that's all A's and one B's, and your parent brings up the B, or maybe they give short shrift to great job in the A's, but this B plus. Let's dig into this. What's this about? Exactly. Right. Why didn't you do as well there as you did in the other classes? So I think the most shocking story that illustrates this that I came have come across in my decades of, of doing this. Uh, I had a, a person in one of my groups who was at home with his mom and little brother. And the mother had just finished the laundry and it was folded and put on her bed and the, and the two kids were supposed to put it away. There, the younger brother was playing with matches Right. Uh Not a good idea. But anyway, playing with matches. And there was a kind of a table runner on mom's desk that was an old antique crocheted or or, Mm -hmm. or whatever doily type. This sounds like all recipes for disaster. Now we have this antique runner matches. Okay. Bad ideas. Okay. So little brother sets the thing on fire accidentally. Okay. (laughs) Sibling grabs the first thing that, that they can get their hands on. And beats the flames out, mm-hmm. you know, saving sure. the house. Mom comes in, sees what's going on, and direct quote, she says, I can't believe you used your good pants. <laughs> to put out the fire? Yes. This is a real story? This, this is a true story. <laughs> okay. I, I mean, I was flabbergasted, and I hope that that is an extreme story that- But did she listeners- relate this story like- can you believe they used their real pants to put out the fire? The parent re- was relating it in that way? Well, so, no. So the 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 person who was relating it was an adult oh. who had, it was their experience as a child. Oh, oh I see. I they see. were the one as a child who put the fire out with their good pants. And their mother came in and said, I can't Great. believe you used because it. Because that's the other part of this is all the reparations you might have to do around the terrible Things that you've already Parenting. done. Right. Yes. Now, I hope that that example feels to our listeners as an extreme. I hope our listeners hear that and go, oh my gosh, I would never do that. Yeah, but it sort of synthesizes the, that idea. It does. The perfectionist. Right. It does. When we remark on the 10% or the 1% mm-hmm. that went wrong and don't talk about the 90% or 99% that went right. Statistically, the statistic that I've heard is that on average, what children do, do what their behaviors are on a daily basis is 90% positive. What they hear on a daily basis is 90% negative. And that's just distressing to me, mm-hmm. right? That we aren't giving our kids credit. It's kind of like what's gone on in the pandemic. Right. Our kids our kids are superheroes. You've talked about this a lot and cuz there's been a lot of this talk about like kids falling behind and too much TV and this whole falling behind idea and not shifting the perception of this sort of historic trauma we've gone through and you say that a lot like the fact that kids are surviving this And it's sort of recalibrating your perception and what's a victory. Exactly. I feel like we need to celebrate children's successes. So the the opposite of perfectionism is acceptance. Mm. So I guess that's the idea. That would be an example of having some acceptance. It doesn't mean that if the child's had struggles through the pandemic academically that you say, it's fine, everything's fine. 
But I guess the idea is you can't have perfectionism, which is like, how could you be getting terrible grades? These are so terrible. Right. How do we deal with this, but also have some acceptance around the struggle? Like if we're talking about the pandemic, if we're talking about a child that's maybe struggled with their grades during the pandemic, how do we deal with this? Because mm-hmm. maybe it is an issue, but it's also important that maybe we limit our perfectionism and have some acceptance around what's going on. Is that the idea? Yeah, absolutely. If you talk about it with that example. Sure. Yeah. If we're talking about the pandemic, that's a great example that we need to accept that it's an acceptance of, you know, our kids are doing the best they can or our kids are who they are in a very, the very broadest sense Greg, acceptance forms the foundation of self-esteem. When we accept our children for who they are, for not only their strengths, but also for their weaknesses, and when we celebrate their strengths and downplay their weaknesses, Mm -hmm. that sends the message to the child that they are a good person inside. Mm -hmm. There's a great book that I... It's a children's book, and it's called Mama, Do You Love Me? It's about a little girl who lives in Alaska, or a very cold place, and she says to her mama, Mama, do you love me? And the mama says, yes, I do, dear one. And the little girl says, well, how long will you love me? And the mama says, I will love you until the stars turn to fish in the sky. And the little girl says, well, how much do you love me? And the mama says, I love you more than the raven loves its treasure. And the little girl says, well, what if I was carrying our eggs and I tripped and I fell and they broke? Then would you love me? And the mama says, well, I would feel sorry, but still I would love you. And the little girl says, "Mm, well, what if I took water and I threw it on our lamp and I put it out? Then would you love me? And the mama says, well, I would feel angry, Hmm. but still I would love you. The little girl says, well, what if I turned into a musk ox? Then would you love me? And the mama says, well, I would feel surprised, but still I would love you. And the little girl says, What if I turned into a walrus with long, shiny tusks? Then would you love me? And the mama says, well, I would feel scared, but still I would love you. And finally, the little girl says this. What if I turned into a polar bear and I was the meanest, fiercest polar bear you ever saw and I chased you into your tent and I made you cry? Then would you love me? And the mama says, oh, I would feel very surprised and very scared. But still, I would love you because inside that polar bear, I would know that you are still you and I love you. That's acceptance. It's separating what our child does the behavior, the big, mean, fierce polar bear, when they chase us into our rooms and we're crying with rage, right? Mm -hmm. It's separating what they do from who they are, that unconditional love that we felt for them from the beginning. 
from when we first knew them right. in this world. And they didn't have to do anything to please us. Well, I like, as I'm listening, by the way, that was kind of amazing. You have that whole story. You can just do that story. <laughs> I love that the mother acknowledged her own feelings first. As you kept saying, like, well, yes. I would be angry. Sure. Well, I would be surprised. Well, I would be disappointed. Mm-hmm. And I would still love you. And right? I would still love you. Great. So we have a couple more. So the next one you have is um, on a list of four ways we discourage self-esteem in our child. You have overprotection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? So overprotection refers to doing things for your child that they could do for themselves. And often overprotection comes from a, a sense of fear. Sure. You know, on Which the part- I'm assuming sometimes can be warranted. Obviously. Correct. So what I tell parents is if you're unclear about whether you're protecting your child in a circumstance or overprotecting your child, please err on the side of overprotection. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would much rather see a child who has a little lower self-esteem but is protected against kind of the big bad world out there than a child who, you know, has had to experience some sort of dire consequence. Sure. A great example of that, I think, is my daughter, who has kind of given me permission to tell these stories about her and her son. So he's one, and he's he's not only a walker already, he's a runner. Um, he's, you know, very... He's very adept, very, you know, he excels physically. But I had a, and I had a conversation with her the other day via Zoom and they were out on their back porch, which is a patio, which is concrete. And there's some little steps. So he's in the process of learning to go up and down the steps. Mm -hmm. So overprotection in that case would be... No, no, no. Come on. I'll, I'll help you. I'll help you. Here's my hand. Come down the steps. Mm-hmm. Oh, here's my hand. Go up the steps. Instead of that, she does what we call stimulating independence. So she says, what's your plan? What's your plan? Now, meanwhile, grandma over here, right, right, watching via Zoom, I'm like, I'm gnawing on my fingernails, you know, going, you know, but she's like, what's your plan? And that kind of stimulating independence and showing confidence in his capabilities, every single time he'd get right to the step, he'd stop and you could see him thinking about it. turning, right. And then if he was going down the steps, you know, it would be he had one plan. If he was coming up the steps, he had another plan. And he did it every single time, you know, except for the one time he face planted. But that was fine. It wasn't on concrete. (laughs) Right. Well, which is also part of it, too. And then you we talked about this in the last podcast. That's how you develop resiliency and grit. Yes. Is when you work through those things. And it sort of stands to reason. It's sort of like in the last episode when you talked about fixing. If a parent is stepping in and fixing a negative, uncomfortable feeling for a child, that that they never develop the skills to do that. I would think if a parent is overprotective, that leads to low self-esteem too, because you feel like you can't work through any of these things on your own. Right. Exactly feels that they can't, right? That is an that is absolutely on point. You know, and you can look at it in in all kinds of cases. So if you look at toddlers, most preschool kids, you know, who are 2, 3 years old, have their parents convinced that they cannot possibly put a coat on themselves. Mm-hmm. But the first time that you go to that toddler classroom 
and it's coat weather, and all of the coats are lined up upside down, and the child has learned from the preschool to put their hands in and flip it over their head, and mm-hmm. then the coat's on. They know how to do it, but it's you know easier to convince your parents to do it for you. Sure. But it's overprotection when parents do it for them. If you fast forward, it's things like the child comes home from school and has had a disagreement with the teacher. And the child says, you have to call the teacher. You have to say blah, blah, blah. And the parent does it over protection. Mm -hmm. It's so critical that we allow our children to do the things that they are developmentally capable of doing when they're developmentally capable feeding themselves, sleeping through the night, putting themselves to sleep, doing their homework. Organizing themselves, their schedule. Organizing their schedule. It's so critical that we as parents take that step back and I'm not going to overprotect you. I'm not going to fix this for you. This is something you can do. Right. And you're there to help and support if needed, obviously. Sure. Yeah. The idea is to you know, you write on the four ways we encourage is to stimulate independence. Yes. Is the opposite of overprotection. Exactly. Yeah. Stimulating independence, saying, what can you do about this? What's your plan? I, lo- I mean, what a great phrase. Right. Even for, for a one-year-old, for a 14-year-old, mm-hmm. what's your plan? Mm-hmm. How are you going to ha- fix this? And look, when they're 14, they're going to go, I don't know. You're supposed to know. You know, they're going to back talk you and you say, you know what? I bet you can figure this out. Right. This is something you can or, do. Or you offer in terms of, it's not maybe a fix it if, if the child is lost to say, you could maybe, what do you think about this? Yes, exactly. So then, then they can take it on on their own and go, well, yeah, that's a possibility. And then obviously that just makes sense. Then you're building self-esteem because if you know, you're allowing the child to sort of figure it out and get through it and you can do this and what's your plan and then they do it themselves. Of course, like you're building a reservoir of experiences over your childhood that you've shown yourself that I can do it. Yeah, and that becomes part of their internal resources. So the next thing that comes up, whatever the next thing is, they can draw upon their internal resources instead of reaching out for help to somebody else. Well, that's what I, I think that was maybe my favorite part about when we, did the episode about focusing on un- our uncomfortable feelings, helping the child learn to cope with them is that that you build this reservoir experiences. So if you do that through your childhood and you run into some issues as an adult, that you have this whole filing system in your brain, in your heart of like all the times that you did it, that yes. you've just built on through your life. And it sounds like that's the same thing with the steam, right? Is that you've now yes. built it and shown yourself that you can. Absolutely. We need to have those internal reservoirs as opposed to, you know, trying to to reach out and get the reinforcement from external sources. Mm-hmm. Because what happens if there's no external source to reach out to? Well, and eventually there won't be, right? When you go out and you're on your own and Yeah. I mean, there might be in work and relationships and stuff, but then it that those can be sort of destructive. Correct. If, if you've not built up the tools that you need to have healthy self-esteem. Exactly. So this last one, I guess maybe we covered a little bit when you talked about perfectionism as an acceptance, but the last one you have in terms of four ways that we discourage self-esteem is we focus on mistakes. Mm -hmm. So do you have any anecdote? Because I would imagine this is similar maybe to the grades and this idea that, and I've heard this in our parenting group sometimes that a parent will come in 
with a very long story about something that happened with their child. And there will be like a mistake within the story, but right. sometimes, well, and I only say this because you've pointed it out and you kind of gently point this out to the parent is that they will overlook the 95% of it that went great and be like, can you believe they did this? And they, I've heard you go, yeah, yeah, that's not great, but what about all of this? <laughs> and it sounds yeah. like obviously this is sort of seems pretty obvious, but that if you you focus on that one screw up and you focus on those screw ups with the child, that's going to lower self-esteem. It's like the bringing home the f- seven A's and the one B and you're like, a B? Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, I mean, focusing on mistakes and perfectionism are so close, right? right. I different. The only way that I really differentiate them, and, and it's a, it's a very um, minor way, is that when you use the word but. Hmm. So let's say you ask your ch- kid to pick up their room, right? And they do. I mean, kind of. Mm, not, not really so much, but, you know, there's a little bit done maybe. And you come into the room and you say, well, you know, I, I, I can see that you did, you know, you picked up that pencil, but what about the next, you know, what about these other things? Well, that even sounds better than just coming in and going, this is a mess. This is not a job. You didn't do this. This is, I asked you to clean up and the kid's like, I did clean up. No, you didn't. This is, Look at this is ridiculous. Right. And so that's, that's even kind of, worse. So that's, at least Right. That's kind of what I think of as perfectionism. Right. Okay. Like, okay. So so you this, don't notice anything. Because at all. I okay, that's perfectionism. That's great. So perfectionism is, is the idea that you don't notice anything. And, and and then what you're just saying is you come in and you say, Hey, I, I see you got your notepads, but Exactly. You didn't do A, B, C, look at your bed. What about your shelves? Exactly. And so you've said in the past that the butt even if you give a nice little compliment at the top, once you say but, it's gone. It negates everything that came before it. Hmm. You know, So it could also be, sweetheart, I love you so much, but could you be quieter because I really have a headache? <laughs> <laughs> but you're actually really annoying me right now. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Because it's like, oh, she loves me. Oh, I'm annoying. <laughs> right. And what they what they know, what they, you know, what they retain from that is I'm annoying. Sure. So what I tell parents to do to combat that is either disconnect the statements. If you if you have to mention what they did wrong, disconnect that from what they did right. So you can disconnect it in time. So you come into their room and you say, "Hey, looks like you got a good start here." And then you can go away. Mm. Right. And that implies that you have the confidence that they're going to do it. You can come back and the disconnect in time would be, you know, I see you have a couple more things to pick up. Right. That's a disconnect between the compliment, if you want to look at that way, Mm -hmm. and the negative. The encouragement, maybe. Yeah. You can also, in most cases, you can substitute the word and for the word but. Mm hmm. So you can come in and say, hey, looks like you got a good start, and I'm sure it will take you no time to finish up, right? So now I'm- It's a connected thought now. It, right. And and so I'm not ignoring what they haven't done, and I'm not being a perfectionist because I'm showing confidence in that second piece of the statement, and I'm sure you get the rest done in no time. So it winds up being a win-win mm-hmm. in, in that case. You know, we've talked about in previous- because a lot of what parents will say to me 
is, well, what if they did nothing? Mm -hmm. I mean, what if there's no 1% to to hang your hat on? We've talked in a previous episode about the use of iMessages. So in any of these cases, Greg, that we have talked about where the behavior isn't what we want Mm -hmm. and there's no, you know, there's not even a percentage that you can hold on to that's positive or an encourage, something you can encourage. Exactly. What you want to do is to use an iMessage. Right. And and you've said before, and I think it bears repeating, and it seems like it could be in this situation, and, and I would imagine would build self-esteem, is that you've said is when you do a you message, it's just negative, right? Yes. You are this. You are that. You need to clean up as opposed yeah. to focusing on your own feelings, which you've said many mm-hmm. times. So I feel really frustrated that we've talked about your room several times, and you haven't even done a piece of it yet. I feel really, really frustrated about that. Is that the idea? Yes, exactly. And I would like you to. So we're back to that. Yes, exactly. When you, I feel, I would like you to because. When you, I feel because, I would like Thank you, you to. Thank <laughs> Yeah. So when you agree to clean up your room and you don't, I feel frustrated because it's going to delay us being able to do something together as a family. I would like for you to clean up your room when you say you're going to. And, you know, it's just boundary setting at that point. Mm -hmm. When you intentionally knock over a glass of milk, I feel annoyed because it's a big mess. I would like for you to clean it up. So it could be any of these circumstances. The one that I would steer parents away from is the grades. In other words, I... If the child's doing well at all in any subject, I think they're going to be more effective in terms of getting their child to pick the other grades up if they talk about the successes. Well, that's what you have as the opposite of focus on mistakes. You say build on strengths. Exactly. Exactly. And And it doesn't mean you can't visit that, you know, if they got the D, but your point is that focus on, certainly if you're going to start in on a discussion of, let's just say grades, because we're talking about grades. Is that the idea? Like, let me focus on the build on strengths, you say, which I would Mm -hmm. imagine obviously is going to improve self-esteem. Wow, you did great in English. How's that going for you? Again, it's like you talk often about curiosity. Tell me more. Wow, this looks like you brought the English grade up. That's great. How did that go? Yes, that's exactly right. And I have real life stories about people who bit the bullet and did that. It's not easy to do. What What isn't easy to do? It's not easy to only acknowledge the strengths and not look at that D, mm-hmm. you know? And I'm not even talking about a B as in mm-hmm. boy. I'm talking about a D as in dog. It's very hard to not look at that. What I have consistently seen over time is that when parents Number one, ask a child to self-evaluate on the right, grades. Right, right. I was just thinking as you were talking, the other thing that might happen is if you don't focus on it, you know, because the child's probably thinking, oh my God, the D, I'm going to get sure. killed. And if you maybe talk about all the other stuff, I would think the child might even on their own go, yeah, but this D. They do. Sure. They do. I've, I mean, again, you know, I've seen it for three decades now and I've seen kids at the bottom of the barrel really with, you know, all failing grades and a C in gym, you know, and, and, and this one dad, and this must, this was like 25 years ago, but this one dad had been berating the kid about all the things. And, and they're like, you know, uh, you know, all the bad grades, bad, bad grades, bad grades, and was kind of at his wits end. And I said, well, 
you know, I think you should try something different because it's not working. (laughs) Yeah. How's that working for you? (laughs) How's the berating going? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Grades shooting up to the sky? Grades. (laughs) No. So I gently suggested that he should focus on the C Hmm. as being a positive. Mm -hmm. And he was like, are you kidding? It's Jim. I mean, come on. And I said, well, you know, I mean, literally, what do you have to lose at this point? (laughs) So he did. The dad just focused on that seat. And, hmm. you know, the kid being a grumpy teenager at the time was like, you know, no grunt, grunt, you know, and mm-hmm. didn't acknowledge. But what happened over the period of a couple semesters was those the C went up to an A in gym. The D's and F's went up to C's and B's mm-hmm. in the other subjects. Was the kid the strongest in math? No. Was he destined to be an engineer? No. Did that matter? No. So this kid went on to be a high school basketball coach. Wow. And is was very successful. What a great career because dad was able to pull up, help him, support him in his confidence. Right, right. So that he could go to college mm-hmm. and get a... A degree in sports and the thing that that made sense for him right and that he would have the self-esteem to be able to do that i mean one of the things that occurred to me that as you were talking is and we sort of over kind of covered this but that it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy yes you got to fix these terrible grades why are you getting such bad grades becomes i get bad grades i get bad grades Exactly. Is that right? Yeah. And and kids are like, well, I can't help it. Because the other thing that happens, Greg, is when a, when a parent says, why aren't you getting better grades? It's asking a question that the child doesn't know the answer to. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I try to reinforce with parents is this idea that I believe is fact that kids do well. All kids do well if they can. If they're not doing well, it's because something's standing in their way. Mm -hmm. So what could that be? It could be parental discouragement. It could be, you know, low self-esteem. Parents aren't the only component of Yeah, yeah. There can be things at school, socially. Exactly. A number of things that can be contributing to low self-esteem. Exactly. So it it could be parental discouragement. It could be low self-esteem. It could be... A, a learning disability, a hidden mm-hmm, learning mm-hmm. disability that hasn't been recognized. It could be as simple as, you know, they can't see the board. Mm-hmm. So they can kind of see, but they can't see. Something is standing in the way. And when we recognize kids as being capable and wanting to do well, think about it. I don't think there's a human being on the planet who wakes up in the morning and says, wow, I think my goal today is to fail. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, I sometimes I do fail, you know, in a day with one thing or another, but I don't wake up mm-hmm. thinking that's my goal. Mm-hmm. Kids don't wake up thinking, oh, I'm going to do poorly today at school unless there's something stopping right. them. So the the journey of that is sort of the again, like the curiosity. It's about kind of trying to help them discover, because what you're saying is <laughs> they they don't might not know. Right. Right. And so the. The process of that is helping them figure out the roadblocks that are in the way. So if you had to sort of synthesize it into one thing for parents to remember around self-esteem, if you can, 
Mm. What would you say? Like if we want to give one parting thought around it, what what's most important to keep in mind? The most important thing is to love your child unconditionally and accept them for who they are. It is the foundation of absolutely everything else in terms of self-esteem. Well, it's interesting because in this thing that you gave me to read that you had put together, encouragement and self-esteem, you said at the top you wrote cour, C-O-U-R, comes from the French word meaning heart. Yes. So that's the idea? Yes. So to encourage means to speak to your child's heart because the lessons that they learn with the heart outlast the lessons with that they learn with their mind. And if child has heart and feels good about who they are, they can accomplish anything that they set their mind to. Thanks for listening to the Parenting Horizons podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share with your family and friends. And if you'd like to hear more about Julie's work, join one of her parenting groups, or see about individual counseling, please visit ParentingHorizons.com. Or you can email Julie at Julie.Ross at ParentingHorizons.com. See you next time.